Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Breaking, a baseball news podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm Tim Jackson here with TC Zenka. TC, again, lots happening in baseball, a very courteous uh, event happening, as we said here, to record. Uh, how are you doing today, and, and what are you looking forward to in baseball at this moment? Well, I'm, I'm not quite as good as Lance McCullers Jr., who just made $85 million today, which is he's got to feel pretty good about. I've never signed my name and made $85 million. Uh, yeah, so. no, I've, I've, I've never done that either. So, <laughs> I mean, I assume he's feeling good. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's a wait. I don't know. I don't think so. I think he feels good. I hope so, for sure. Uh, and, you know, we've got a lot on our plates today that we're so happy to go through everything with everyone, uh, every, all, everybody listening. We're so thrilled. But really, the McCullers thing is right off the bat because down the list on the rundown were, were extension candidates, and Lance McCullers was one of them. So... Uh, that's why it was so courteous of Lance, uh, now we're on a first-name basis, uh, and the <laughs> Astros, to to break the deal here. What do you? What is your first impression when you see Lance McCullers Jr. signing an extension for the Astros? Honestly, my first thought is, why Lance McCullers? Like, the Astros have they've moved on from so many different guys. You know, they let Colin McHugh walk. They let Garrett Cole, obviously, walk. They let George Springer walk. But Lance McCullers is the guy that they decide to lock in. I guess, you know, the age is, has something to do with it. He's 27, $85 million doesn't break the bank. So, I mean, you can kind of understand that in Garrett Cole walk. I mean, obviously they'd rather have Cole, but, you know, Cole costs, what's his deal with 330 or whatever it was? Like very, very expensive. Multiples of this one. Yeah. So, like, I guess that's why Lance McCullers, but... Yeah, it's a good. I guess it's a good deal. So it's the the Astros officially have a starting pitcher for next year. So that's that's good for them. That's a, that's a boon for them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And really, you think about it in ter- in that terms, is that like now he's the elder statesman for sure on that team going forward. I mean, you don't really know what's going to happen with Verlander, but you can't imagine that they're going to really lean into Verlander as the as the reliable guy there at the top if he comes back from his injury. Yeah, and, and Grinky too. I mean, Grinky's a free agent at the end of the year, so both those guys yeah. are, are heading out. Framber Valdez is hurt. I mean, hopefully he... I, was, I assume he'll come back. It's just a pinky thing, but like, you know... But now they have the beginnings of a rotation next year. They got Odorizzi locked in for next year. They got Valdez coming back. Now they got McCullers. So it's, it's starting to shake Javier. Up. Javier, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and, starting and to look like a rotation. There. Yeah, some youth. I mean, a lot of guys Forrest under Whitley. 30. <laughs> Forrest What's Whitley, that? I'm sure. Forrest Whitley, I'm sure, will be oh. storming the rotation next year. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it is kind of interesting. You don't necessarily think about a player like McCullers being quite the the guy in a rotation. I mean, you, you look at his his history. He hasn't thrown really more than 128 innings. This is a guy who hasn't uh, broken 130 innings in his career professionally for in the majors since he came up at 21. He went 125, 81, 118, 128 last year, 55, pretty good in the shortened season. But, um, you know, what? what is really the standout skill? Is it is it the ground balls at this point that pretty much hover around 60% at an elite rate? Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. And he does get strikeouts. He strikes out, uh, what's the number here? Uh, you know, 25% last year, usually a little bit more than that. Uh, his walks are, are fine, 8.5% last year. Uh, he had that one one particularly bad year where it was you know five walks per nine innings, but he seems to have mostly gone that under wraps. I mean, his numbers are really very good. Like you look at his his FIPS year after year: three two six, three three ten, three five, three seven. That's three two nine for his career. Though that's very very good. The only real issue with him is the volume. Like we haven't seen him be a real workhorse kind of guy. But if you're getting you know, even 130 innings out of him at this, at this, which I guess they never have. So I guess we can lo- should lower the bar there. But, you know, if you're getting, say, 110 innings out of him, that's really good. But is he more just like a really good reliever then? Yeah, almost like a double duty reliever, like a guy who's going to throw the two innings every, every couple of days. Um, I guess that's a really good point. I guess you really do have to believe in the strength of your bullpen at that point, which we've we've spoken about the Astros being kind of this development machine and we I guess we could really think about the way baseball is going right maybe they're thinking you know what we don't really care if he throws 180 innings or 100 or 160 if he's going to be a guy who throws 140 really pushing it 120 we're going to roll with it because now it's like you get the cost certainty in in two three four years who knows what 15 million dollars a year really really means yeah and if nothing else I mean he's 
bringing solid production when he is in there. The numbers are really good. And like you said, at $15 million a year, like it's not going to break the bank. You can, you can make things work around that. And, you know, even if things fall apart for him and he gets hurt and he can't stay healthy and he's not even doing a hundred innings per year, like it's not going to crush them in the long term. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's really the, the takeaway with this deal is that it's not going to, to hurt them, right? There's nothing that stands out like, oh, maybe that's a, a, a weird contract. Maybe they'll regret that one. But I do think it is interesting in terms of team construction. Like you were saying, they really have let a lot of go- guys go in Houston. And for McCullers to be the one that they stake, their, stake the claim with is really kind of interesting. So I guess... You know, he'll, he's really set in to be a Mariner, or not a Mariner, oh my goodness, uh, an Astro uh, for the bulk of his career at this point. And we can see how, uh, what I'm really curious is if we can track a little bit of how the game changes development-wise and even just the progression through nine innings every day. I wonder if we'll be able to track it through Lance McCullers and his work with the Astros. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. It's yeah, certainly possible I'm, to see how he kind of transitions these next couple of years as, along with the league. You're right. I'm going to be very interested to track that just out of curiosity, because even like, you know, his pitch mix hasn't changed a ton since he's come up. Uh, last year, he really cut down his curveball about 10%. Uh, but then he, he filtered it pretty evenly between his fastball and then a little less so into his changeup. But I I don't know. I'm curious now. Now I have, I have something very particular to watch for, which is a, a joy that <clears throat> a joy that baseball really does provide us. Uh, so, uh, congratulations, Lance McCullers, and congratulations for breaking it as we got to talk about it. Pretty much as it happened. Bigger notes though on extensions. Salvador Perez. Salvador Perez signs an extension this week with the Kansas City Royals. And TC, you wrote up the deal at MLBTR. You went really in depth. You you pulled in a few various sources. So, uh, what were your initial impressions uh, when you saw Salvador Perez sign for what is it? Four years and eighty-two million dollars. Uh, yeah, something like that. It it could be upwards of I think five years and ninety-three, ninety-three or ninety-seven, maybe. Uh, I had to look at it again. Uh, the the final years, the team option were thirteen and a half. But it's uh you know upwards of twenty two or twenty per year a couple years ahead of that. It's a lot of money for a catcher who's you know only a year removed from Tommy John. He's a big bodied guy. He's about to be thirty one years old. They're really banking on him being being good, and I'm I just don't totally think that he's going to be all that good. I mean, there are the intangible pieces, and this is what I wrote about at. MLB trade rumors like the Royals like him. The Royals love this guy. They, you know, they want him to be a Royal for life. They think he's his input with, with young players and with uh, pitchers is invaluable. They really want him to be as he has been a core piece of their team. And furthermore, like the Royals are weird. They, you know, value people (laughs) as people and want to, reward them for doing well and things like that and want to like pay them for doing their jobs. And they've got this weird, you know, whole thing of valuing people that the rest of the league doesn't really follow. <laughs> and so they wanted to reward them. Like he, he had signed an extension previously that was well below uh, market and they, they wanted to reward him for that. They wanted to reward him for being here all these years. And they did that. He's making now a, a big chunk of money. And, you know, the one thing that kind of, call me off guard maybe or or that I kind of you know step back when hearing was was Dayton Moore talking about you know how much oh you know it would be harder for us to keep him a royal if we let him get to free agency now <laughs> I don't know about that it's not like there have been these you know bidding wars recently it's not exactly been the the tail of the tape when it comes to you know baseball free agency in recent seasons it's been the dead opposite with JT Romuto as recently as a couple months ago right kind of right. like the I mean, Phillies walked into that deal yeah, I mean, he couldn't find a spot. There wasn't a bidding war at all. I mean, and Real Muto now, he's making not that much more than uh, than Perez now in this deal. Let me look at the, the real numbers here real quick. I well, you mentioned up. even earlier the, the extension that he signed as, uh, as basically a rookie, right? After he debuted in 39 games way back when in 2011, 
they signed him to a five-year deal worth $7 million, which is almost like comical to think about, like, or insulting, I guess, if we wanted to look at it in that light, like offering that and having a player accept it, uh, which I, I think touches a little bit on something we've mentioned in the past, uh, the willingness of foreign players to sign that kind of deal, right? You you did link in a really great Andy McCullough piece, too, into your piece at MLBTR that went in-depth about Perez as a player being somebody they signed on a whim for $65,000, which is a decent signing bonus. It's not like they had 10 k left in the budget, like a lot of teams do for international guys, and were kind of just like, uh, do you want this? So they give him 65 k which is a decent amount of money for that kind of signing. And it turns into this guy who's really become a stalwart for them, even after the five-year, $7 million deal, uh, which was kind of in vogue at that point, right? And and is still kind of in vogue. That's right around the time Evan Longoria signed for six years, $100 million. Um, he went on to sign for five years, $52 million in 2016. And now he's up to, right, like you're saying, 4 and 82, which can go up to... Uh, you know, closer to ninety million or a hundred million in the extension total, if the Royals take the player option when he's what thirty six, which they're going to, right? Because they love this guy and they're, they're they're clearly willing to pay him. It just it feels like something would have to go disastrously wrong, which is possible for them not to take it. But I still think the odds are on them picking that picking that uh, option out. There are a couple of notes from that McCullough piece that you linked in. That really did go in depth and really did bring a lot of things into light. Uh, even, even before we dig into those, thinking about it, you know, in terms of total appreciation of the player and the person, right? They talk about how valuable he is to the team, uh, how valuable he is to kind of like the spirit of Kansas City, how he really embodies the championship teams and the World Series runs that they had. And now he's really like this bridge going between competitive teams and like that's appealing to him. So that it's an interesting human aspect to this deal. Uh, but even just in terms of the raw dollars, it's like a, it's like a total of 14 years or 15 years and basically $150 million in total, which is still relatively underpaid for his career. Would you agree with that? Yeah, probably. Especially when you consider that he's actually been, by the end of it all, it'll actually be over. Tw- it'll be twenty years in the Orioles organization. I mean, he's already been in the organization for fifteen years. Of course, when he's those five years or whatever, when he's in the minors, he's not getting yeah. paid, you know, pretty much anything. Right. Pat on the back and you know, a couple of peanut butter sandwiches. But uh, so so yeah, especially when you factor that in for twenty years. Yeah, I think he is probably underpaid now. I mean, what does that mean exactly? I don't know. That part's a little bit confusing to me. But he's going to be a very rich. He is a very rich man now, so so good on him and good on the Royals for doing their best to to get him what he's worth. You know, I hope it doesn't bite him too much down the line in terms of their overall payroll. For sure. I, I think that'll be interesting to play out. Like, I, you know, I'm saying I'm very curiously and particularly going to look at Lance McCullers and Astros and baseball. Uh, but, you know, what that might do to the Royals as a team like, is there is there a place where you see this kind of turning sour? You're saying it could happen. We've hinted at it a couple of times. What would maybe be the worst case scenario for a deal like this? I mean, the worst case is that he breaks down and he can't play. That like he literally can't get behind the plate. You know, it, it was not inconceivable for a guy who's 6'3", 250 pounds. It's happened to all sorts of different catchers. And if he's not behind the plate, uh, he loses a lot of the value that he that he has now. And you know, if so, if that happens, if he gets hurt, if he has more, if he has knee problems, I mean, basically, if he can stay behind the plate, there's at least some of the value that they see in him. But if he gets, if his body deteriorates, which again is totally possible, but maybe that's not something you bet on. Uh, you know, that's where it becomes disastrous for them. Yeah, yeah, especially you're you're talking about like the. Right now, their payroll is about $85 million, $84 million. Uh, In the past, it has been uh, closer to, I mean, last year it was $34 million when all was said and done. Um, so they obviously, like, they're adding money in here. And, you know, payrolls are one of those things that can kind of uh, adjust like a belt. You know, it goes up, it goes down in size. Uh, and they did have to cut money in 2019 and all of that. But I wonder, it's almost like, do they time another run around this contract or does it time out with any runs that might coincide with the team when you have guys 
like maybe Mondesi fully develops. Uh, maybe, you know, you have some of their younger guys coming up, their younger pitchers they have, that are just about on the brink. Um, you know, do, how I don't know. The timing aspect is interesting when it comes to the team building when you really value the person in this context, right? Yeah, you're right. I mean, these they're young guys right now. They do have this young core that they believe in that's coming up who are still going to be very cheap over the life of this deal. So that's, you know, Montesi will start to get expensive if he's any good remains a question, but Bobby Wood Jr. is going to be coming up. You have Brady Singer, you have Chris Bubich, you have, uh, what's the other lefty? Um, Daniel Lynch. Daniel Lynch coming up. These guys are still going to be very cheap throughout the life of this deal. They're, most of them are barely going to be into their arbitration years. So they can afford to spend some of this money if they don't plan to be signing, you know, be big players in free agency, which they usually aren't. They have a couple of guys on big contracts now. You know, Mike Miner and Carlos Santana, guys that they went out and signed this year, whose money will disappear. Uh, Danny Duffy is making $15.5 million this year. That comes off the books next year. So they don't really have any long-term contracts. I mean, this is the largest contract they've ever given out by far, I, by extension or free agent. Like, this is the biggest deal in Royals history. And the other thing to consider is they have new ownership. So what their eventual spending levels are going to be, you know, we don't really know. Like this is year two of their new ownership group. So it might be that they are going to be willing to spend once this group theoretically appreciates and starts really contending, which, you know, they certainly went out and spent some money this year. And so that's kind of a step in that direction. So, yeah, I could, I see your point. I could totally see a competitive core aging around this deal. My bigger question is just kind of more kind of, on a more basic level, how good is Salvador Perez? I think that's a fair question. Even that McCullough piece. So we talked to, you know, I, I hinted at it a moment ago that there were really a lot of good tidbits in there. One of them is that they're, when they signed him, uh, they were quoted as having found uh, the, the Venezuelan Johnny Bench. And uh, that was Bill Fisher, one of the advisors uh, to, to GM Dayton Moore. And, that's maybe an aggressive comp, right? <laughs> like when it comes to scouting, they a lot of times you will see hesitance to put that kind of label on him. Uh, you know, Johnny Bench had eight and nine win seasons uh, for through a good chunk of his career. Yeah. Uh, he had seventy five wins by Fangraphs WAR by the always by the time all was said and done. It's a guy who had an ISO over two hundred. And a time where it was definitely not looking like that through baseball. Uh, and really, by and large, through his career, he was a plus at the plate and a plus behind the plate. Uh, really not until the back half of it that he was not as good, or really the last few years that he cost them any runs. Uh, and never really dipped below an average bat. His Johnny Bench's lowest full season WRC plus, 99. Salvador Perez's... <laughs> Lowest full season, WRC plus, 88. So you're talking about a player who's 11% worse, who is younger than Bench was at that point in his time. An aggressive comparison, right? So, like, if he's not Johnny Bench, where does he fit in for you? Right. Well, and more to the point, like, Salvador Perez's career, WRC plus, 99. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So Perez has been for his career as... You know, he is kind of like the worst case Johnny Bench, maybe, right? I, I could see that as being like the very bottom tier of the, the you know potential careers for Johnny Bench that you didn't actually have. The fifth percentile. Right. This is maybe one of them. <laughs> the uh, the I mean, you're sitting in the bleachers and you squint and you're like, that's Johnny Bench. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I mean it's it's really hard to tell. I mean, by all accounts, he's great with the pitchers. You know, he was a World Series MVP. He has so he has been a gold glover year after year after year. He's been an all-star year after year. Now that's partially because the Royals haven't had other all-stars. Like they haven't had, you know, very strong players. So he's been kind of their default all-star for, for a long time. The golden glove thing is a little bit different though. Still gold gloves. Like, what does that really mean? It's often on reputation. And, and if you look at his war numbers, that's very confusing by F war. He is 11.9 career F war. By baseball reference war, he has 24.2 career war, right? This is a huge, that's a gigantic a swing. Big, so, like, yeah. even the two different, you know, uh, evaluations can't really decide how good he is. I mean, what we do know is that he's 
he's good with he's good with pitchers. He can manage a game. He's got good power for a catcher, right? He's got uh, 180 career ISO, and he's been over 200 the last three seasons. He swings the bat. He does not take walks really at all. He's going to be more likely than not a sub 300 OBP guy. I mean, last year was an anomaly. He hit 333, 353, 633. Just insane. Insane. over right. Just 30 games, though, right? He only played 30 games. And Steve Adams uh, from MLB Trade Rumors pointed this out, which I think is a great point. If you look at his BABIP, like his BABIP was insane last year. 375. If you normalize that to his his career average of around 287, that on-base percentage falls to right under 300, to like 298 or something like that. It's- Which is in line with what he did in 2017, pretty much on the nose, not too much better than 2016 uh, or 2014. Yeah. Like Exactly. So I think we can expect him to be roughly, you know, he's going to hit 250. He's going to get on base at like a 390 or 290 to, to 300 clip. And he's going to hit for pretty decent power somewhere in the, you know, slugging wise, probably 430 to 500 range, which is a broad range, but you know, he's going to hit for pretty decent power as a catcher. So long as he stays healthy, you don't really have him. The offense isn't really the thing with him though. Right? Like that's, that's not really why you have a catcher, why you pay a catcher this kind of money. Like the offense helps. Right. But I mean, you know, he's not Jeff Mathis, right? So that's important. That's so the bat is important. (laughs) But his bat isn't that great. Like, I don't love in, those. I don't love that profile, right? It falls in line with what the league averages have been since for catchers since he's come up. Uh, whereas we're, you know, kind of uh, joyfully or or playfully adding in this Johnny Bench comp, where Bench was well above average for what catchers were at that point, right? Uh, which really wasn't too different. If you look, you go back, that's the best thing about the plus stats, right? WRC plus, all of those, is that they normalize errors so you can really compare guys, not just within seasons, but uh, over extended periods of time. So I think that's, um, I don't know, you said he, he doesn't take a walk, and boy, he really doesn't. <laughs> Last year, his no. walk rate was 1.9%. Yeah, I... You try to walk him, you just try. <laughs> I'm just imagining trying to pitch out to to Vlad Sr. and him taking a cut. <laughs> uh, there are a couple of other things. You keep mentioning that there are intangibles here that I, I think, you know, intangibles is one of those words where it's like, uh, okay. Um, I mean, maybe when you're in the city or around the team a lot, you see what that means. Uh, like there were there were definitely intangibles to like the the Phillies teams that are burned into my head, right? Like intangibles to the to that team from like 07 to 2011. So I'm sure there are a lot of similar things when it comes to those Royals, but he's been communicating with pitchers since he came over as a teenager who didn't speak English. So I think that's extremely important to acknowledge in terms of how well he can actually communicate. And he's been their guy now for, you know, 10 years in the majors. Like they they know exactly who Salvador Perez is, right? That's yeah. the thing for, for whatever else, whatever we think about the Royals and their team building strategy and, and where they decide to spend their money and, and, you know, how they don't trade with Merrifield, even though everybody wants them to like, you know, they know who Salvador Perez is. They know exactly right. what they're paying for here. It's, it's clearly an overpay, right? It's, it's definitely an overpay, right? He's not getting that deal from a free agent team. Right, not not anywhere close to it. I mean, James McCann, right, is a year younger than Perez will be, and he signed for almost exactly half of this deal, half. So Perez isn't going to anywhere near that. But again, the Royals, they got the guy they wanted. He's in the house long term. They're going to build him the statue, and they get to build their next the, all these young young pitchers that they have coming up. He's going to be the guy who's going to you know usher them into their major league career, which is, as far as the Royals see it clearly very valuable yeah extremely valuable i think that was really the big takeaway that i that i had when reading your piece is that toward the bottom you say the royals simply wanted perez in kansas city over the long haul and sometimes that's a reason enough to keep the guy there whatever it costs who cares at that point um that said you know let's let's go through just a quick bit uh, a quick series of questions here when it comes to these extensions right because we've got some other candidates we want to get to in a few minutes we've gone through McCullers uh we now we've we've gone in depth with Perez 
how much do you weigh certain things? Like, for one, having won a championship. How much do you value that, TC? If you're in the negotiation room, where does that sit on, on your, your, uh, your ledger here? I mean, that's one of those things that gets mentioned and that, like, to me, personally, as a fan, and as a guy who likes narratives, it's important, but... <laughs> But like, it's not really important. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it might be all like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I like I like girls with blue eyes. But like, I'm not going to not date someone because they because they have brown <laughs> eyes. Like, it doesn't really matter. It's just like, yeah, it's something I like. And so, yeah. Do I want someone to have won a championship? Sure. But, you know, especially in baseball, when you have 25 guys, like it's not really about a single player. It's about a confluence of events and and, you know, many, many other things. So. It's good to know that he can do it, but it's only it's going to be a very very small piece to to them ever winning it again. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you there because I've seen a lot of teams, especially the ones near and dear to my heart after they've won, hang on to guys too long and it's almost like you, you would you rather lean into the idea of, you know, walk away a year too soon as opposed to a year too late because at that point um I don't know, man, it even it's like not like they're not helping the team win. Like it's just it's when a guy gets tough to watch, it can be very difficult <laughs> to watch as a fan. Yeah, I mean that said though, I do think there's value to it. I mean th- this is why I was glad to see the the Nationals resign Daniel Hudson after 2019, right? Like Hudson has so much more value to the Nationals than to any other team, and for the player too. I don't know why he'd want to go anywhere else. Like he closed out a World Series on that team he is this like he stands for something there and Perez stands for something in Kansas city. There's something to be said for that, for, you know, a franchise that's going to continually that's trying, that's working to get their fans through the door. That's going to need that kind of revenue. And, and, you know, Kansas city wants to be a baseball town. They are a baseball town, but it's in part because of these, the, the ties to these kinds of players. So I don't know. I think in a vacuum, it really doesn't make any sense. And, you know, objectively it doesn't really make any sense, but at the same time, I understand there being some placing some some value level on it for sure, which really asks, you know, the next question I really had lined up here is how much do you value comfort if you're the player in the negotiation room? Because my point of reference for this that kind of sticks out of my brain, right? Like we all tend to read things. We watch things. We have certain moments that stick out. Um, one thing that sticks out to me is a 2017 piece from Dave Cameron when he was at Fangraphs that kind of evaluated the, the Gene Segura deal at that point where he said that the two parties were betting on each other, Segura and the Mariners betting on each other. And ultimately, Segura might have done it in a way that he left money on the table. But we're talking about under overpaid, kind of nebulous terms by and large for almost every single person on the planet. How much is enough? How much do you value comfort as the guy who's signing the deal? I would think that signing, like in the case of Salvador Perez, that signing in Kansas City is so much more valuable than signing anywhere else. You don't have to move your family. You're in a city where you're comfortable. As a baseball player, you're still traveling all over the place. So, you know, you get to be, you're seeing, you're going all over the country, assuming, of course, that he likes Kansas City, right? Assuming that you like the city where you are, then keeping that as your home base is huge. Not having to move your family is huge. I mean, Salvador Perez now, he's going to get, uh, let's see, you know, no small part of this. Next year, he should pass, he should get his 10 and 5 rights. Oh, yeah. Uh, So he'll be, you know, he'll have a, yeah, he has nine years of service now. Sometime during next season, he'll get his 10 and 5 rights. So he'll have full no trade protection. That's a huge deal. Like these guys, they are totally at the mercy of their teams. He's going to be able to say now, if he ever wants to leave Kansas city. And that means, you know, his family, his kids can stay in schools. His, his wife can stay in her job. Like they can just settle into Kansas city. That's huge. I think. And from a financial perspective, you know, you know, Salvador Perez, he can sell cars in Kansas city till the end of time. Like, I don't think he's getting those same merchandise deals. If he goes and, you know, if he goes and plays for the Mariners. Yeah. I, that's a really great point that there is a certain, just like, your life is really there in terms of what you've built, in terms of what you can build after the fact. The car dealership thing is is really funny, but really kind of dead on when it comes to that stuff, right? Um, so there are there's one more thing here when it comes to this Perez deal that I want to ask you about. We've talked about it a little bit. Uh, how much do we weigh now? This we we've taken one question from the. Uh, 
the side of ownership. One question from the side of the player. Now I'm really curious as, as both sides, how much do you value that mentorship and transitioning between contending teams in when it comes to this deal? Like we know, obviously, the Royals value it a lot. But they might be particular in general. If we look at this, you know, thousand yards up or, or objective stare, third party look, whatever you want to call it, how much do you value that when it comes to signing a contract like this? I think objectively, you don't value it very much at all. I mean, teams can win in a lot of different ways. And something like having the right mentor or having the guy that you think is the right mentor be the person who's there to usher in this new era, I don't think that's the only way that. that the next group of contending players can come up and develop in the right way. I mean, frankly, I don't think that that skill set is some is is irreplaceable. I think it can kind of manifest in a lot of different ways for your team. And so, you know, objectively, I don't think it matters really at all. I think you can kind of check all those boxes in a lot of different ways. And some of it has to do with, you know, having the right clubhouse conditions and some of it has to do with you know being in the right division and some of it has to do with like do the guys on the team do the young guys like each other and there's a you know there's a million different factors that go into the the uh like the interpersonal part of building a baseball team that said i mean it's easy to talk when we're not when we don't know these guys but like man if you're in the room if you're dating more if you're the owners of the royals and you know salvador perez and you're like this is my guy like this yeah. is my dude right here you know like we were buddies. I've known this kid since he was 16. This is a pro. Like he's like, I get it there. Yeah. You value it. You value wanting to reward that guy, wanting that particular guy to be in the room. So I don't know. I, I'm not exactly sure how to, how to parse it, but I, th I think for the Royals, it's like a no doubt thing. And I think if I were there and I knew Salvador Perez, I'd probably feel the same way. I'd probably be like, yeah, this is my guy. Like, this is who I want to be in the room. Like let's build a team around this dude. That's really interesting. I, I think as you were talking, I'm thinking the player probably values it more than the team. But maybe when you are a club like the Royals, we already know the Royals like him and, and liked him enough to sign the deal. But if you're a club like the Royals who won't have a top payroll every year, who might go through an ownership transition, uh, who might go through various stages of, of team development, maybe there is a, a ton of value in having a guy who is like really kind of the landmark or, or the touchstone for what the organization is. So I think objectively, sure, we would, we would pass on this aspect being terribly relevant, but I guess when it comes down to it, when you're really involved in it, this is like a, like a, that idea of like a foxhole guy, right? Who do you want to be in the foxhole with? Right. Their answer is Sal Perez and they're like, let's make sure he's around. So really fascinating to look at it in terms of to look at the Salvador Perez contract in terms of what the team is and where the team is, what the player is and where the player is, uh, in terms of their their own stage of life, their own development, uh, because you know socially, uh, socioeconomically, maybe he's got enough for life. He's set no matter what number he signs at. Uh, the Royals they've gotten their value out of him, but uh, you know as I'm talking about it, it's really like this heartening situation to think about it where they're like we're going to take away these cold objective aspects and just like let's just do this deal yeah i mean the royals have kind of proven over the past year both from how they play they paid their minor leaguers how they kept their staff intact like they are a you know for lack of a better word like a human-centric organization they're one of the better organizations we have in terms of how they treat their people for sure and uh, given that we've talked so much about extensions right now, you want to play a little game when it comes to other potential guys coming up in terms of do they sign or do we let them walk? So why don't you walk us through this little game you want to play of, uh, of these contract extension possibilities? Yeah, so let's play yay or nay. I say yay to playing yay or nay. So that's, <laughs> so that's what we're going to do here. So I'm going to give you a name. And we're, you're going to tell me two things, okay? I'm going to give you a name of a guy who is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So extension an extension is on the table for these guys. The first thing I want to know is you're the owner of the team, of the player's team. So in the case of Salado Perez, you're the owner of the Royals. So you give me a yay or nay on whether or not you want to sign them to an extension at assuming the price, whatever the price is that it takes, right? Right. So you give me a yay or nay from the, from the perspective of ownership. And the second thing is, real world futures, will they actually sign an extension before reaching free agency? So not before the season, even though some people have set their deadlines, 
will these guys sign an extension before reaching free agency next winter? So give me yay or nay, yay or nay on that count as well. So I want two yay or nays from you for each of these players. And we got a bunch of them. Let's start with first baseman. We got two big ones. Freddie Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's probably a yay either way, right? Absolutely. I think he will. I would sign him. I think he will sign. You know, you mentioned 10 and 5 rights with Perez and the Royals. And 10 and 5 rights, just in the event you're not clear on that, 10 and 5 rights, you spend 10 years in the league, 5 years consecutively with one team, right? So you can, at that point, you pretty much get veto power on any trade, any movement, anything at all, any transaction. That's that's the term. Freddie Freeman's already that guy for Atlanta. And I think he's maybe, like, he hasn't won a World Series for them. And he hasn't, like, you know done the same things maybe uh, with when it comes to personal touch. But Freddie Freeman might be more important to that team and what they are or have been than Perez on some level, right? If he'd won a World Series, we'd say the exact same things about him, except we'd say, oh, he's a winner and he won a World Series too. Like he has all the same cachet. The fact that they haven't won is kind of happenstance, just the way it, way it happens. Like not every team gets to win, not every superstar gets to win. And he has done you know, more than his part. Like he is a winner for, for as much as we need to define that. And he is as Atlanta as anybody, like he's the, he's the guy that they connected to Chipper Jones, right. In terms of talking about the, the legacy tying one, uh, you know, one era of a team to another Freeman is that connection guy. He is Salvador Perez. Yeah. He's the one that ties them all the way back to Chipper Jones, which ties them all the way back to, you know, their, their, their heyday, right. That's, you know, going back now almost 30 years that we can connect with these two guys. So, yeah, he's gigantic for them. He's not going anywhere. Anywhere He doesn't want to go anywhere. He's locked in at some point. Absolutely. So who's who's your next first baseman? Next first baseman is probably a little bit better than Freddie Freeman. <laughs> Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs. Not quite as good as Freddie Freeman, but he's still very good on his own. Very consistent first baseman. Solid defender. He's been the guy for the Cubs. A kind of interesting guy for the Cubs in that the Cubs... And Jed Hoyer, you know, traded and, and Theo Epstein traded for this guy multiple times, right? They traded him uh, from the Hoyer traded for him as a, as a member of the Padres and then traded and then Epstein traded for him again. They, they, they've just been passing this guy back and forth and just making sure that they have him at all times. So he's a free agent at the end of the year. He's making 16 million some now. Would you sign him back if you're Cubs ownership? No. No. No, because. We're talking about 10 and 5 coming up, right? Uh, we know I'm not going to sign him as Cubs ownership because I know they're cheap. And I don't want a guy on the roster I'm going to be paying a ton of money to who can suddenly tell me he's not moving anywhere if I had a deal for him, which I think could happen. I think they're that kind of team where if they had a taker for him in a couple of years, they'd try to ship him off. So do you think he will be extended? <sighs> I guess the question is really him, and, and I guess I'm cheating. We're going to peek ahead here, really. We're, we're looking ahead at, at Chris Bryant, right? Do they have to pick one, or do you think they sign both? I don't think there's a chance that they sign both to extensions. Okay. And we're going to have you know Javi Baez in this group, too. So, so, no, I don't think that there's a chance that they sign both. I think you know maybe they sign two of those three. More than likely, they're only signing one, if, you know, if they sign anybody to an extension before next winter. Right. You know, I guess I guess I could see Rizzo being the guy then. I could see Rizzo being the guy. Yeah, I think he's the guy. I think he's he's the Salvador Perez of the Cubs. He's the guy that they want to connect their winning teams. He's the guy that they believe in. You know, they hired David Ross, who's like his best buddy, to be their manager in part because they believe in that whatever that character piece is that David Ross and Anthony Rizzo share, that's what they want to be the centerpiece of the Cubs. And while Rizzo is not um, you know, he's not as talented as Chris Bryant at his peak. Like he's been crazy consistent and they love his character. You know, he's a cancer survivor. He's a really positive guy, really uh, kind of a happy demeanor. Has his own cereal. Has his own cereal. They, you know, they want him <laughs> to be there. I, I think, I think if there's anyone that the Cubs extend, it's going to be him. And, you know, I don't think he'll necessarily break the bank. I think, I think the Cubs will probably overpay for him actually, if they do, if they do end up extending him, but he should make less than Paul Goldschmidt made uh, with the Cardinals. That is kind of interesting. Yeah, if, if he falls in below Goldschmidt's total, but it is interesting that he's going to be the guy, I guess, in the context of the team and who else they, they have coming up with that they'll have decisions on. 
I guess Rizzo really is the guy, so maybe I would extend him there. But you talked about his consistency. Boy, it really is crazy consistency. Pretty much a walk rate that's 11% and a, and a K rate that's 15%. Hardly deviates from that at all in his nine-year MLB career. And, uh, you know, it's just crazy constant production at a similar level. So I could see that. I could see teams really leaning into who's going to be the guy uh, who, that they connect these generations to and with. Uh, but first basemen are all we have to talk about here. So what about elsewhere around so the this diamond? This is where it gets complicated because now we have this shortstop class, right? We have this gigantic shortstop class of incredible superstars. That's all going to be free agents next year. So we have five of them here. Let's, let's, let's go through these kind of quick, starting with Francisco Lindora. You are the Mets. Do you extend this guy? I mean, you have to, right? Yeah, absolutely. I want to. Yeah, I think so. Do you, will it happen, though? And he's, he's one of these guys who set a deadline. He said opening day or bust. So two things about that. Yes, I think they will extend him because we're talking even if it goes into next year, not, not like before free agency starts, right? So basically before the end of the World Series, they'll have time to hash that out unless they are in the World Series, in which case they probably still want to stick together anyway. Uh, so absolutely, I, I see the Lindor deal getting done, but I guess that means if we're going to look ahead and peek at these guys in kind of pairs or combos, is Michael Conforto walking at that point? I think so. I don't, I don't think that they, I mean, they've, the news of the scuttlebutt has been that Conforto and the Mets aren't particularly close. Conforto is not a guy that you think necessarily will age all that well, even though, you know, last year was an incredible season for him. It was a shortened season. He's been really, really pretty underrated. He's very good as a corner outfielder, but he's not the guy that I would want to, you know, Hitch my hitch my wagon to is that the expression? If I had a wagon, <laughs> it, I, I, had a wagon I would not want to hitch it to, to Michael Conforto. <laughs> Nobody he probably want my, me hitching it to him there. <laughs> uh, totally fair, but even on Lindor, are you are you agreeing with that that he, they want to sign him and they will? Yeah, you know I'm not as big a Lindor guy as most people are, but I think. You know, the, the numbers haven't been particular right now. So far, they've said they haven't offered him 300 million. They're going to have to offer him 300 million. I think he'll end oh, up yeah. being probably a little bit overpaid in my estimation, but he's another one of these guys who's he can be a centerpiece guy for you. His defense is so good. His personality is, you know, A plus personality. Like he's the guy that you want to be the face of your club. So, yeah, I do agree. I think they probably should and they probably will. Other short stops. Which- oh, go ahead. No, that's it. I was going to say, which leads us to some other. Yes, yeah, so let's do some of these others. Javi Baez, back to the Cubs. Can't stray from the Cubs too far. Would you and will they? I think the contact profile just scares the living daylight out of me, right? Long term. Uh, you know, we don't have quite many guys who who have the way, who, who approach the plate the way he does. I mean, you're talking about a K rate that's going to be mid-20s or higher. And a walk rate below 6%. Uh, last year, I think we saw the worst of it when the K rate was 32% and the walk rate was 3%. Um, not that he's going to do that again, right? We've talked about in-game video being back. But he really only has two years of plus or plus-plus production. And I don't think we're talking hitching wagons here. I don't think the Cubs are going to hitch a wagon to him when they've got a guy like... I don't know, Nico Horner in, in house, right? Like they, there are ways to fill shortstop at that point, right? Yeah, there are. I mean, I will say that, you know, Javi Baez, another guy, great personality. He's the total fan favorite. Like of all these guys that have come up, Baez is probably the one that Cubs fans like the most. And defensively, he's an A plus defensively. You know, he is right up there with anybody as far as those skills, skills go. But still, as we saw last year, when the offense totally fell apart, he was, you know, League average player, shortstop is stacked. I don't see how the Cubs can extend him. I know Baez wants to stay. He has said multiple times, you know, come, let's chat. I want to extend. I want to be a Cub for life. But I just don't know how, like you said, with that profile, it's scary. And I just don't know how you you lock that guy in, especially with all these shortstops coming up. I mean, the shortstop position is really, really stacked. There are a lot of good shortstops in the league. And there are a lot of shortstops who are going to be available as much as you hate to say, like, you don't want to, like, lowball him, I just don't see Javi Baez getting paid that much or getting paid for that long. And so I think the Cubs are actually in a really tough spot where 
it's going to be hard to make him an offer that's actually market value that isn't insulting to him. But at the end of the day, I think it is going to be market value. So, so no, I don't think he gets extended now. I could see him coming back next year eventually after exploring the market. But no, I would not, I would not send him back. And I don't think he will get signed back. Next up, Kyle Seeger's brother, Corey Seeger. Yay or nay? This is this might be the toughest one on the list. The Dodgers will outspend anybody, but they already have forty-five million committed to Bauer next year, assuming he 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 picks up that option. You have Mookie Betts, who they're going to pay twenty-plus million dollars. You still have David Price on the payroll, uh, AJ Pollock, Justin Turner, Max Muncy. They all together make forty-five, forty-six million dollars. I just don't know. I, I think they want to, but similar to the Astros, we know that they are really good at developing and finding guys. We've talked about a few of the guys they've plucked up off of waivers. I could see an area, because they also have Clayton Kershaw coming off the book soon too. Do, do you sign him or Clayton Kershaw? Well, you sign Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw's not going anywhere. But I think you're right. You, you see kind of Corey Seager and Carlos Correa as being kind of in similar situations with their respective teams. Both have injury injury histories. Both have, have been kind of the centerpiece of title teams. Yeah, I I think so. I, I think they're in very similar spots. I think the the Astros are actually in more of a spot to walk away, uh, just given where they are as a club. I I guess I don't I don't see them I don't see the Dodgers bringing story back. I I could see him signing a monster deal elsewhere. Yeah. Seeger. Yeah, I, I could I could see them letting him walk. I certainly don't think they'll sign him before next year, before he reaches free agency. Yeah, and see, this is the problem with a lot of these guys. Like, until one of them signs, then it's less likely for all of them to sign, right? Because as long as Lindor is out there, for example, then if you're the Dodgers, you're like, I don't want to commit to Seager because Francisco Lindor is out there. If I can right. bring Francisco Lindor onto this team with Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger, like, holy moly, and we've got the resources we're back-to-back champions. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Projecting, huh? Let's bring him in. Like, you know, so as long as... I think Lindor is kind of the big piece here. As long as he's still out there, I mean, I think all these teams kind of have to dream on him. And, you know, at this rate, if Javi Baez is your... If he's like the 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 bottom man here, if you, you end up being stuck with him, that's okay, right? Teams have not been out, <laughs> outbidding, outbidding other teams. Like, there hasn't have not been these bidding wars in free agency. There really hasn't. I think that's a great point. I think it's a great point to lock in as uh, on Lindor as kind of the domino, right? The first domino who has to fall to see where the market gets set. Uh, what do you What do you think about Correa? Well, I guess I'll, I'll answer the, the question first with Correa. I already kind of have. I could see him absolutely walking from the uh, the Astros, where they've got Jeremy Pena, who could come into the picture, who's twenty three, who's already on prospect lists around the league. I think Correa will be out of there. Yeah, I think they let him get to free agency too. I mean, I think he he's another one. A lot of these guys want to stay or they say they want to stay. You know, I think that's like what that really means. is like, I want to get a monster extension and stay. So, you know, I don't know how to separate like the real guys who are like really are. Oh, I love this place and I don't want to leave. But right. yeah, I think Correa is probably on his way out. I don't, the Astros have shown that they were very selective. And despite signing Lance McCullers, who was, by the way, a Scott Boris client who did not get the free agency. <laughs> even though everyone says that's impossible, it does happen. Yeah, I think he walks, and I think that's the right decision. Yeah, what are you going to do? And besides, you got to kind of turn the page on that era of Astros, right? Let's move it along. Yeah, you know, they, they are there. We keep talking about it, uh, and they, they are there, and now they're, they're, they're making McCullers their bridge guy. So that, I think that makes sense in terms of letting Correa go. Uh, but when it comes to this week in baseball, uh, two things, really. One, we had the PLPNFBL, a totally easy thing oh, yeah. to say that I did not have to rehearse at all. <laughs> the Pitcher List Podcast Network Fantasy Baseball League. We had the draft with 14 teams total, so 13 other teams uh, based on other Pitcher List podcasts that we should all be listening to and tuning into. Uh, and so we had our draft last Friday. Uh, we felt pretty good. I, I felt like, you know... Uh, we were streaming on Twitch as a, as a site. Nick was walking through some things and the picks and all. Uh, and if you happen to catch it or if you didn't, uh, I at one point said, you know, maybe I'm just being one manager like every other manager who says we like our guys. But I felt like we liked our guys, right? How did you feel about the results of the draft? Uh, yeah, we liked our guys. I mean, first of all, I will say I found the entire experience incredibly stressful. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> 
I just, I haven't done it. I've only done like, you know, I'm not a big fantasy baseball guy. I've, I've done a couple of drafts this year for the first time in a long time, but they've all been slow drafts. So this was like, you know, the, the one minute clock and like the minute we got into, it, I felt like, Oh my God, we're not prepared. So it was just, you know, we make a pick and then I was like, Tim, who, who we got, who's our next guy. Give me a list. To give you guys a sense of how TC and I communicated on this, TC and I were chatting over Discord. Uh, I'm in and out of the back end on the Twitch stream. I'm watching the board go. Um, You said it was stressful. I was hyped up. I could not go to sleep for like two (laughs) hours after this. And like my bedtime is like 9.30 most nights. And that's like pushing it. I didn't go to bed till like after midnight with this draft. So it was like... And we got sniped a bunch, right? Like that, like of course, of course, you get sniped in the draft. But we really we ran into positions where we're like, "crap, who do we want?" And then the queue dried up like four players, and it's like, uh... <laughs> yeah, I did. And, um, but by the end, we were kind of picking guys who I feel like the last couple of rounds we weren't really on guys that were near. We were just kind of going with the guys that we wanted who didn't happen to be all that highly ranked. And so we ended up kind of settling into a good place. But those first couple of rounds, oh man, those were. Those were those were they, very stressful. They were tough, extremely stressful, and we did reach that phase where it's like, you know what, just get your guy, like you know, get your guy and kind of roll into it. Uh, we did tweet out the lineup if you really wanted to see it. We don't need to read out everybody's names, but we did. We already have some injury scares. Like, what a bummer. Um, we'll, we'll get into this because this is really the next piece of this week in baseball with the injuries through the game in the last handful of days. Kirby Yates. Tommy John. Yeah, we locked in our closer. We got Kirby Yates. We got our guy. We're good to go. We don't need any other closers, any other relievers, because <laughs> Kirby Yates is going to get all the saves we need. And uh, because we thought that because the way the, the setup is, it's head-to-head, but it's points. So it's really just like whoever comes out of the categories that week, you get the one point, right? So we're like, Yates will really keep us competitive in saves. Now we're like, hmm, Okay. Uh, so we've got something to do there. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. had a shoulder injury scare oh. yesterday. It was kind of terrifying. Yeah, like the baseball right? world stopped in its tracks and it's just like, cancel the season. <laughs> just shut it down. <laughs> it's not worth it. Forget it. No. He says he's fine. And that, that was the thing. Like somebody close to him, the report came out, was like, he's fine. Like, okay. I mean, that didn't look terrifying at all. You couldn't just be trying to make me feel okay. I believe you a hundred percent. Um, but when it comes to the rest of the roster, is there anybody who sticks out that you were like, I love that we got this player? Uh, on our team? Yeah. Um, I can I can think of one that I'm very excited about, that? and it's Mikey Strimson. Oh, uh, yeah. I hadn't even really given him much thought, but I'm glad we got him because I can kind of, because now I can give him some thought. I like the guy. I think he's going to be continue to be good. Yeah, I do too. I think he's going to, like, the projections for him have him coming way back down to earth, by and large, like, calling for an average at 240 to 265. Uh, I think it's going to be above that. I think his walk rate's going to be, like, pretty much everything is going to be better. The K rate will be right on the nose. He, in his in his 161 professional MLB games to this point, a guy who's hit 30 homers, 31, 103 RBI, 90, or 103 runs, goodness, 90 RBI, four steals, uh, an OBP uh, around 360, slugging percentage around 530. Like, I think he's legitimately like a four-win guy. Like, no, we don't use WAR as a stat in fantasy baseball, but really does give you context as to what he is. And because a lot of that value is coming offensively, I think he's going to be a great pickup year long. Yeah, and and the projection system struggle with a guy like him because he doesn't make any sense. Like the fact that he exists. Is, is unlikely right and the, the projection systems part of their whole deal is like figuring out what's the most likely outcome and the most likely outcome right. is not mike shremsky like that's just not him being a, a good baseball player continues to be unlikely and if i do think it'll happen yeah absolutely right right because the, like you're saying the system projection systems are designed to incorporate all sorts of data they don't account for a guy who figures it out at 29 or 28 uh, and they don't figure out for the, they don't figure that guy's gonna continue to be good. Usually, it's looked at as a fluke. But now, with the way player development happens in baseball, I think like he's very, very legit as a player. I'm so happy we got him. Yeah, I'm glad we got him. I'm glad we got Jeff McNeil. He's a guy who's who's got that batting average skill that's kind of hard to get these days. I mean, there aren't a lot of guys who project to hit 300. He's one of them. Plus, you can move him around. He's he's eligible at a couple different positions. So. He makes just the setting of the weekly roster a little bit easier to handle. And I don't often root for Mets, so 
<laughs> nice to kind of get outside my comfort zone there and, and root for him every now and again. For sure. I think that's one of the big things when it comes to fantasy baseball, right? It becomes easier to become fans of guys and it becomes easier to kind of, um, you know, in, enjoy the way that certain guys play a game. I, I think that's the thing. We have a team that's going to be really fun to watch. I don't know how good they're going to be. I don't know how we're going to place in the standings, but I'm going to have a lot of fun watching them. Uh, we're the Royals here. We're uh, like, so... we, we got a bunch of good guys, quality <laughs> guys. We're just, we're glad to reward them with the spot in our club. <laughs> they're going to usher in the next, the next round of winners here on the breaking fantasy team. Yeah, we've got great team chemistry, uh, but but follow us along at, at Breaking Bob PL, and we'll we'll keep you updated and apprised throughout the course of the year, uh, and hopefully we get to keep enjoying it. Uh, other injuries that come along this week: Zach Gallen has a hairline Ugh. fracture in his forearm, Ugh. Ugh, and he felt it. He felt it first when he was swinging. So this is going to be. Where uh, a situation where Zach Gallen does he become the face of please God abominate pitchers hitting? Yeah, he is. And oh, I hate that so much. I, I mean, when I first saw it, I, I think it's a terrible take, first of all, because, <laughs> you know, just because he felt it swinging does not mean that he broke it swinging, right? In fact, if anything, it's good that he realized that it was hurt so they didn't keep throwing and aggravated it worse, right? So good on him for taking a couple of swings. But then I did read that it started feeling bad when he like got a pitch near the hands or something. So like, I don't, if it happened while he was hitting, fine, we can make him the poster child. But if you just realized it when he was hitting, then no, it's then like, come on, put that away. Then that's a terrible take. But that said, like, yes, for sure, bring in DHs. I'm 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 all for it. Like, stop. Let's not have Zach Gallon hit. Let's let's have him pitch. And yeah. too bad that he's not going to be out there at least for a bit. He was one of the guys I was really looking forward to. He's a guy I have a lot of stock in. I'm a Zach Gallon believer, but yeah, absolute bummer. I'm also, uh, as as we say at the site of Gallon Gal, I, I love <laughs> Zach Gallon. I love his game, love his repertoire, I love how he can command the zone. Uh, I had written up a piece at Baseball Prospectus that um, just quickly we'll hit on this, and then we, we can move on to the next disappointing injury news. <laughs> uh, but it included it's it, our model portfolio. So for a fantasy team, the model guys we'd really love to build around. Zach Gallon was on there. And the news of the injury came out, I guess, in a kind way, kind of like the uh, the McCullers deal today for us. The injury news came out as I was writing it up and like an hour before I was submitting it. Uh, and I was like, ah, what a bummer. Yeah. Uh, definitely a bummer. But on that note, Stephen Brault has been shut down for a month uh, because of moderate arm muscle strain, which sounds very <laughs> generic, which makes me think it sounds concerning. Yeah, and you know what? This one is a bummer because this year at least we have pitchers hitting and Stephen Brault is one of the only pitchers who can actually hit, <laughs> who can actually swing the bat. He's a guy who's, who's wanted to be a two-way player. And so the fact that he's not going to get to hit this year is kind of a bummer, even though, you know, he's on the Pirates and he's Stephen Brault. So it's it's <laughs> not exactly a world shaker, but still I'm bummed for him and I'm bummed for the Pirates that, and bummed for us that we don't get to see him hit. Yeah, I agree. And and Brought was on sleeper list for guy for certain people breaking out this year, being a, a bigger contributor. And and that's always a disappointment when the season is cut short for a guy, even if he comes back healthy. Uh, you know, his season's still not going to be as long as it could have been if he had been and, and really producing. So uh, on that note, in terms of being disappointed and in terms of a guy being out for a month, Harrison Bader is out for a month. That leaves some pocket of noise to fill out the Cardinals outfield, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a Bayer fan because he's plays for the Cardinals and he's, he's one of those guys. He's like, we don't have a name for this. I don't think, but he's like, he's like Joe Kim Noah in basketball, or, you know, Lance Stevenson. He's one of these guys who, if he plays for your team, you love him. If he plays for a team that you don't root for, you freaking hate the guy. Yeah. And, and Bader's one of those guys, but he's an incredible defender and the thing that's a real bummer about this is that the Cardinals have built this crazy elite defense. It's kind of an interesting little gambit that they have where they have a really solid, interesting bullpen and they have their offense looks fine, but it's really their, their defense that was really elite all the way around the diamond. Bader is a huge piece of that in center without him there. Yeah. We're going to make me get to see Justin Williams or Lane Thomas or Austin Dean get some more at bats, but I mean, he's a real centerpiece there. I don't know that anyone's going to be able to, I don't know who steps into center exactly. If it's Delane Thomas or if it's Dylan Carlson seeing more time at center, but it's a big drop off defensively. For sure. And it'll be interesting to see how the cards uh, shuffle up those outfielders to find their answer. Uh, when it comes to finding another answer and another elbow injury, Jose Leclerc is going to be missing some time with some elbow soreness. What do you make of that? 
Ed seems like he's not coming back for a while. I mean, they said, I think he's out for a while or something. They had some nebulous, long-ranging term like that that's very scary. And it just seems like bad news. The, the Rangers the whole, the Rangers are already down their entire bullpen. They're, they're in a tough spot. It's going to be a tough year of baseball in Texas for the Rangers. Adam Engel is going to miss the start no! of the season. <laughs> Tell me why you're so forlorn over the, the Adam Engel injury. You know, I am kind of bummed about this, not because Adam Engel is particularly good. He's fine. But just because he, I mean, he's he's the White Sox fourth outfielder. They need a fourth outfielder. Like the guys they have, like they have a stellar starting outfield. Luis Robert is insane. Eloy Jimenez is a, a monster. Eloy just got out and Eloy just went out. See, this is exactly the that, thing. Something... Like these guys, they're going to get hurt. Like they have the profile that, that each of them does, that they're a little bit risky. Adam Eaton, especially in right. Eaton and Engel were maybe going to be kind of a straight up platoon where, you know, we kind of forgot which one was which as they, as they were brought out there. But, <laughs> but the, you know, the White Sox for all they did this, this winter, they didn't, they don't, they're like the nationals and that like incredible top of the roster. I don't understand these teams. Why don't they, build out their depth more like you know get a pull of Padres here and go out and get these extra guys like if you can get the top of the roster if you have Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez like that's the hard part you got Lucas Giolito that's the hard part get yourself some backup outfielders you can have Lurie Garcia in the outfield now like my god like you're gonna stick Billy Hamilton out there I mean just what are you guys doing like just shore up the back end of the roster go get somebody yeah, I, I want to agree. I guess we can lean into the idea that the AL Central is just so so presumably available for a winner that maybe they're like, oh, we'll figure out the depth when we get there. Uh, but they don't really have it, and hopefully they don't really need it too much. I mean, Elo Jimenez, just mentioning him, he left after he hurt his arm or shoulder when he tried to reach over the wall for a home run by Sean Murphy. Like, what oh, a bummer. Like, if those two are defense. missing and they... Don't, right, just swing well, the bat. Not on defense. Like, don't don't do. Not on defense. You're saying uh, Zach Gallen is uh, is okay hitting. <laughs> this is why big men should not be in the field. We need to get them into the, the DH spot where they belong. Oh man. Uh, a couple of option option related news uh, after we followed up on that last week, right? Going in depth with the. With how options are just the beyond section of Bed Bath and Beyond MLB rules, <laughs> um, Alex Kirilov has been option. We were talking about how that would be r- crazy because yeah. they trusted him in October. Yeah, it shows what we know. We're like, <laughs> not a chance this guy gets optioned. <laughs> I don't know. Jake Cave's got to be the guy in right field for them this year. I mean, I, yeah, it's a bummer. I mean, he didn't hit at all in spring training, so that's there is some, you know, you can justify it a little bit. And so far, it's just like you know. He didn't, his on-base percentage and his slugging and his batting average were all sub 200. Like he had really had a horrible time of it. He hasn't played in double A yet. He's still just 21 years old or whatever, but yeah, I mean, the point still stands about the postseason. I wish you were out there, but he really didn't hit. So I guess you give him some more time. I mean, he doesn't even have a triple A to go to. That's the part that's the biggest bummer to me. I feel like let him play for a couple weeks. And if he's still, if he does terrible, then send him down and you, you know, get that service time back then. And, I don't know. It's it's too bad, but it's too bad. Definitely, definitely, because he's not going to be able to play real games for, you know, until May at the earliest. So, like, what are you doing with him at that point? Like, just let the guy work through it. If you trusted him in October, how do you not trust him to, to figure that spring stats, like almost every single case ever in baseball, mean nothing? That's the frustrating part for me as, as, a, as a fan, just seeing it happen, right? Yeah, I mean, Luis Urias will get more playing time. That's kind of cool, I guess. But he, he was going to get plenty of time anyways. And they don't really have a great option to stand in for him. So it's, it's, it's too bad. I wish they were just going to roll with it and give him the confidence and just say, no, we believe in you anyways, dude. Go out there and go rake. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to kind of how the rosters are being picked apart or uh, shaped, molded, we talked about this case last week too, right? Adbert Alzale with the Cubs, and we didn't know if he was going to get, uh, if his service time last year was going to count as an option year. If it did, they were probably going to keep him because they'd have to expose him to waivers. They don't want to lose a guy like that because he would definitely get plucked up. But Alzale, Lewis Thorpe, their teams are granted the fourth option. Uh, so what do you what do you make of this weird arbitrary arbitrary not being like oh well that was whatever somebody decided it was but also like just in the terms 
An arbitrator decided it for those guys, right? What do you make of all of this weird option news coming about? Yeah, so it's, I mean, I don't really understand the process of why it was decided or how it was decided. What I do know is that it makes a difference for these guys. So Elzali, Lewis Thorpe, Jamie Burry, and Dylan Peters, they all get this fourth year, fourth option year. So they're going to be sent down, these guys. So they're, they're now able to be sent to the minors. For the Cubs, that's great news. I mean, they get to send Elzali down. He's a guy who's ready to be in the majors, but they have kind of a huge collection of decent relievers. I mean, Shelby Miller is a guy who's been, who's out of options, who's pitched really well this spring and they want to put on the roster and they have kind of four or five guys like that. Dylan Maples, this guy we've talked about. And now they get to kind of take the extra time with him. I mean, the fact is with some of these organizations, organizations, there is the depth and Elzelay is not, you know, a star pitcher. He's not as in like right now, he's not coming up an ace. He's not a, top guy. He's not Alex Kirloff, right? He's, he's a guy who deserves to be on a roster, but so do a bunch of guys. So kind of too bad for him. He gets sent down. Same deal with Lewis Thorpe. He's kind of a breakout potential guy for the, for the twins. They've liked him for a long time. He's an Australian who, who kind of struggled with some, some personal stuff last year. He got sent home and they say he's back and, and throwing well, but yeah, he's likely to be sent down now too, for a while. Eric Fetty, it's the opposite. And, uh, Aristides Aquino for the for the Reds, same deal. They now don't have the options, so now those guys are out of options. The Nats are kind of in a tough spot with Fetty and Austin both and Joe Ross. They're going to decide what to do with these, with these guys. I mean, someone would probably claim Eric Fetty, I guess. I, I, I'm not like a huge Eric Fetty believer. The problem with the Nats is just that they don't have better options to start. So if they lose him now, it could hurt them. It could hurt them down the line. He's better than most of the guys in their system right now. So, but you know, for him, it's good on him. It's good for him. It means he gets to be in the majors. He's been up and down now for three years. So now he gets to be on the roster. And if not, then some other team will claim him and put him on their roster. So it's good for him either way. So that'll really do it for us this week here on breaking. Uh, you can reach us at breaking pod PL at gmail.com. You want to email us a question. You want to ask us about any more obscure baseball rules or whether or not we should allow pitchers to hit. <laughs> we'll both give you fiery answers apparently on opposite sides. Uh, you can also reach us at Twitter. So TC, why don't you tell us where we can find you online? Oh, you can find me usual places at TC Zanka, Z E N C K A on Twitter. Uh, you can go read my, Wilmer Defoe All-Stars piece on Pitcher List. I got another piece coming out soon about how the Cubs are smart not to extend <laughs> Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, and Chris Bryant. I had to write that up quick before they extend Anthony Rizzo. So hopefully I get that out in the next couple of days. Uh, so you can go keep an eye out for that piece. And then you can find me at MLB Trade Rumors as well. And you can find us at the pod at Breaking Pod PL. You can find me at Tim Jackson Says. You can find me uh, kicking around the, the Discord as we do in our pitcher list community and uh, at Baseball Prospectus, writing up all sorts of fantasy notes and uh, all sorts of tidbits there. I do want to highlight one piece from pitcher list through the week that we before we get out of here. Uh, it was Nicole Cahill's uh, debut piece with us, actually, uh, reframing the concussion discussion. So I had the chance to edit this piece for Nicole. I was really, really uh, just happy to be able to read it, right? It was a lot of fun to read. I think it's one of those things that we don't talk about a whole lot when it comes to uh, knowing how to talk about it with concussions in the game and how they impact players as people who are really still trying to play at a high level. So everybody go read TC, go read Nicole's piece, and keep a lookout for Is she us. Pro or, pro or anti? Pro or anti what? Concussion. <laughs> which side of the, which side does she land on? Uh, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there for the readers to find out. Ooh, a little mystery. Good, I, good, good, good. It is a good piece. Well worth the read. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so again, that'll do it for us this week. Can't wait to see you next week. See you then, everybody. 